All right, I don't know about you guys, but by the end of a work week, I'm thinking from now on we meet here and sing for 15 minutes before we go home. Uh, that would probably uh, calm, the, calm the spirit a little bit. So, uh, the diminishing returns of greed and covetousness. Let's start with a, let's start with a story. Okay, as I, as I share this with you, your mind may go somewhere in Scripture to another guy, that, that, to a man that needed to hear a story about somebody else to make him realize his own heart. The Yellowstone Club. Anybody know where the Yellowstone Club is? Ever heard of it? Okay, it's in Montana. All right, it is sweet. Tom Brady has a place at the Yellowstone Club. All right. Uh, it is swanky. It is marvelous. From what I have heard, I'm not allowed inside the gate. So, uh, the Yellowstone Club, back in 2005, after it had been developed uh, by, uh, by a developer, a wealthy guy who'd been very successful, uh, he was approached by Credit Suisse Bank, 2005. They said, hey, we got this deal here. And we will, we will give you, loan you $375 million against that property. And you're free to take out of that $375, like you can cash yourself out, do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. The developer took the deal, put the Yellowstone Club $375 million into debt, and paid himself $209 million. Okay? Put it in his pocket. Totally legal in the transaction. Credit Suisse Bank then went and sold this heavily leveraged piece of land at that point, sold a collateralized debt obligation against the land to unsuspecting yokes like me, for example, who uh, had a bond fund back in the day in 2009 that went to zero. So, uh, but they sold it off, okay? Credit Suisse, they got their banking fees, got the transaction fees, bada bing, bada boom. Developer put his 209 mil in the bank. They got more fees when they sold the collateralized debt obligation, saddled a bunch of folks with a bad deal. The people who had bought property, okay, in there, all of a sudden, the place doesn't cash flow. All right, the, the golf course, all right, now these are, high, these are high class problems, right? The grass is not the way it's supposed to be on the golf course, right? The restaurant's not running the way it's supposed to. The employees are getting let go because they can't afford the staff. The facility, the club can't make its tax payments, so the schools in the local community are not getting the tax revenue that they were promised out of the deal. The, the, the collateral damage just kept building up, right? Because of greed. Again, nobody did anything illegal. It was all legal greed, all right? But it was greed nonetheless executed by people who had no concern for anyone else other than themselves. They were so driven by the pursuit of financial gain that they were willing to trash a very nice property, the people that owned houses there, the people that worked there, the local township, everybody that had counted on that money, 
and, and then sold it off to a bunch of knuckleheads like me as a CDO, and, and they lost everything too. All right? Now, we hear that story, and we're like, yeah, rich guys are greedy and mean, and, you know, yeah, let's go get pitchforks and go get them. All right? It's easy to get to, get to that point. But a lot of us, when we heard that, you're thinking about that story, and you think, okay, in, in, the, in Scripture, we, when David, King David, right, he had taken, taken a guy, a trusted uh, ally of his, taken his wife, uh, had sex with her, knocked her up, got her pregnant, uh, tried to cover it up by having the guy killed, right? It didn't seem to bother him until he heard a story from Nathan that said, hey, there was a rich guy, and he took a poor guy's only lamb, the only one he had. And David's like, oh, we're going to go get that guy. Where is he? I'm going to execute him right now, right? Okay. We hear these stories. We hear these stories that are just clearly so egregious that we can all agree, yeah, this is, this is a bad situation about greed, right? But tonight, as we, as we, go, as we go further into our, into our discussion, I hope we see that, that greed goes well beyond a handful of, of really, really rich guys acting badly, okay, in the world. So let's, uh, let's look at our text. If you've got a Bible in front of you, open to Isaiah chapter 5. While this is our base text, it is not the only text where we will we'll go tonight. Uh, so let's, uh, let's read this, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, Surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Okay, so you, so you look at that text, right? We look at that text, and you think, Okay, you join some house. This, this is basically a, a, an admonition that says, uh, that says, hey, we got some rich guys here in, in Judah who are buying land in such volumes that it is creating a problem. Okay? They're buying land in such a way that they're violating God's statutes, God's gift to the people of Israel when he gave them a land. And he said, hey, I'm giving land to to tribes, right? And here are the ground rules for the, for the ownership of the land. And, and don't just hoard it all up for yourself because this land belongs to people and to tribes because it is a gift. And every 50 years, if somebody gets in a bad spot and they got to take a loan against the land and you're going to take it over for a little bit in the year of Jubilee, you got to give that land back, okay? God, God gave that gift of land to his people, right? And yet, and yet, as Israel turned its back on God, as, as the southern kingdom of Judah turned their back on God, rich dudes, like the, probably the Yellowstone Club guy's great-great-great-great-grandfather, right? They started acquiring land and, and creating all kinds of chaos in the way they were doing it. They were, they were hoarding that up out of, out of greed. So when we think about diminishing returns... I want you to look at a couple of things. I want you to look at the, at, at the word alone. Woe to those who join house to house who add field to field until there's no more room. You are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. 
diminishing return. I got all this stuff, but I'm by myself, right? I'm alone. I've lost family, I've lost friends, lost community. I'm all alone, right? You keep going. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. I got land, I got house, okay? If I had some money, I'd be seeing Ray and getting a Ferrari over there, right? All right, so, so I got land, I got houses, got all this stuff. I got nobody with me. It's desolate. I've blown my relationships up. I've blown everything up in terms of the people that, that God was intending to give me to live with, to add beauty to my life. They're gone. Top 10 wealthiest people in the world. 10 wealthiest guys in the world. How many divorces do the 10 wealthiest guys in the world have? 10. 10 wealthiest guys in the world have 10 divorces. Living in a big house alone. Granted, they, they might have filled a couple of rooms on that. But uh, the point is, they lost their spouse. At some point, they just traded in the spouse for, for the game, right? And then you look at the third point, and, and that is the yield. What is all of this land yielding that they purchased, that they had to have? I've got to have this land. It's great. These were producing assets. Those assets fell into diminishing return. Okay, look at the, look at the math. 10 acres of vineyard. All right, I'm not a farmer by any stretch of the imagination, as my wife reminds me often. Uh, I tried to pull the fact that I'm a, a, a rancher, and uh, I didn't know the difference between a goose and a gander, so I was really in bad shape. Uh, diminishing returns. 10 acres of a vineyard. Imagine having 10 acres of land, and you're getting six gallons of grape juice out of that. Okay? Six gallons. Ten bushels of seed, you get a bushel of produce. What had happened? All right, God had judged the land. God had judged this bad behavior, this sinfulness, this direct, uh, this direct abuse of what God had given his people and said, okay, you want all this? All right, take your six and a half gallons of grape juice and let me know how that's working out right? Diminishing return. One of, the, one of the challenges of greed, one of, the, one of the byproducts of greed is diminishing return as we look at that. So as we look tonight at the diminishing return of, of, of greed and covetousness, we're going to look at four things. Number one, the multi-layered problem. In the passage that Rob just read in verse four, why did God's vineyard yield wild grapes? Why did, why did it just go to disaster, right? The, the multi-layered problem of greed and covetousness. It's, it's got different layers to it. Secondly, uh, the ugly reality of greed and covetousness. What does it look like? All right, the warning signs. So we sit here tonight, what are the warning signs that this could be, that this is on our doorstep, for example? Okay, and then finally, Kind of the theme for the week where Rob's going to land the plane on, on basically the, the redemption of, uh, that's available when we step on a landmine. What is the alternative to greed and covetousness? What is the joyful alternative 
to greed and covetousness. So that's going to be our breakdown for the next few minutes. Let's deal with a couple of definitions first, okay? We're going to use some terms interchangeably. They're used interchangeably in Scripture, but greed. If we look at a definition of greed from John Piper, John said, desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. What is greed? I want something so much that I lose my contentment in God. Greed is a temptation for all of us, and greed will destroy us. All right? John Piper is very good about getting to the point, right? Take that a little bit further. He went on. If you don't see the greatness of God, okay, so losing our contentment in God. If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If I don't see the greatness of God, all the things I can get for me become very exciting, right? Because there's no context of how to compare their worth and their value, right? I love this phrase. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with a streetlight, all right? You can't see the sun, you'll be, uh, you'll be impressed with a streetlight. If you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures, okay? Short-lived pleasures. Covetousness, okay? The, the, uh, the close cousin of greed. Uh, again, often used synonymously. We'll use them synonymously tonight. Covetousness, intense desire for something. I'll go further and say intense desire for the wrong thing in this case. Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3 Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. I think most of us could agree that going home tonight and finding someone else's wife and sleeping with her would be a problem, right? That's the context in which greed is being, is being introduced here, okay? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, that intense desire for the wrong thing, okay, which is idolatry. What does that mean, idolatry? It means I'm putting that before God, right? I'm putting that pursuit before God, okay? On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. God is not looking, looking on idly and saying, oh, gosh, they're being greedy and covetous. Wow. That's kind of cool, right? No. Six gallons of grape juice for 10 acres, all right? A bushel of produce for 10 bushels of seed. There is a diminishing return that comes with these things. Now, before I go any further, there is nothing wrong with being rich, okay? Abraham was rich. Job was rich. Joseph of Arimathea was rich in Scripture. All right, we got a number of rich, King David was rich. We've got people who are materially rich in Scripture, and we're going to talk about that. So I want to get out up front, though, that we're not talking about, oh, having wealth is bad. That is not what Scripture is, is teaching us at all, right? And we'll see that. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he said, the problem with greed is that it's hard to see in ourselves. I can see it in the guy that owned the Yellowstone Club, right? That was easy. That, he got $209 million, right? He's greedy. 
All right. But if I got 209 in the similar kind of deal, do I see that? Eh, maybe not. All right. Greed is hard to see in ourselves. Jesus said the same thing. Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 12. He said to them, Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. What did he say? Be on your guard. Be on guard. Because it's, it's a problem. It'll sneak up on you. Why do I post a guard outside the, the, the town or the military installation at, at, at nighttime? I post a guard because bad things, bad guys could be coming, right? Jesus saying, be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. When Keller wrote this book, he did a, a series of, uh, of lectures on the seven deadly sins. And he said when he, when he started, his wife said, the one you do on greed will be the lowest attendance of all. Because nobody thinks they're greedy. Okay? Because my neighbor has more than I do. Therefore, I'm not greedy because I don't have as much as my neighbor, right? We're, we live and we compare ourselves to some group that gives us air cover for our own greed in many cases, okay? So, so Keller said greed is hard to see in ourselves. Jesus said be on guard about it, and I would paraphrase, don't miss it in yourself. So let's look at the multi-layered problem first, all right? So greed is a multi-layered problem. First, I want us to look at the kind of the triple threat of greed. All right, it's an inside game. What do we mean by that? If we look at Mark chapter 7, okay, I want you to, I've got three translations up on the screen. For from within, the first is the ESV verse translation. For from within, out of the heart, where does it start? In our hearts, it comes out of us. Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. This is not a group I want to be in. Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, etc., etc. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The NIV translation says greed, malice, and deceit. The message says greed, depravity, and deceptive dealings. All right? The triple threat of greed. What comes with greed? Greed starts in my heart. I desire something counter to what God has said. I want something so badly, all right, that I now devise intent, okay? Intent, what is intent? Wickedness, okay? I want, I want that. Now I'm going to start thinking wickedly about how am I going to attain this, right? Then I finally get to deceit, or, or as the message says, deceptive dealings, all right? Now I'm into action, all right? Now I'm into action. I'm actually acting out on the greedy desire of my heart, the wicked intent, my fantasizing, if you will, about how I'm going to get this done so I can scratch that itch. And then I move into deceit. Now I'm, in, now I'm on the prowl, right? It's action. So you see this, this triple threat of greed starts in the heart, all right? But whenever you look, in, whenever you look at, at greed, 
you tend to see these three things all, all coming together, being very much linked together. All right? So we see greed's triple threat. Then I see, if I'm, if I'm looking at the root cause or the layers of greed and covetousness, I want to see three things here, three different layers. I'll call it the, the idolatry of stuff layer, the idolatry of self layer, and the layer that's just based in lack of content and trust in God. Okay? The idolatry of stuff. Many of us know the parable of the rich fool that Jesus talked about uh, in Scripture. Here you have the account in Luke chapter 12. Okay? Rich fool. What, he, what was his problem? Rich guy had a good year. Had a big year. All right? What does he say? All right? He says, hey, boy, I got all this stuff. Had a great year. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. All right? I got some stuff. Whose crops are they? My crops. And he said, I will do this. And I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there will store all my grain and my goods. All right? Me, 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 me. By my hand, I did this great thing and had this great abundance. It's all me. Me, 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 me. What am I going to do? I'm going to build bigger places for my stuff. All right? Bigger places for my stuff. Then he goes on. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. All right? Eat, drink, be merry. What was the idolatry of stuff for him? Stuff gave him safety, security. I got years and years of stuff. I'm good. All right? I can, I'm good. I do not have to worry about stuff. I got lots of it for years, years and years worth. It gave him confidence, right? I'm good, all right? Confidence, security, validation. You look at this, I got a lot, but if I have more, okay, I'm really good. I'm good now, but if I have more, I'll be really good, all right? He got validation from his, from his stuff as well. As Rob touched on earlier, what do you see also here? The underlying cause? Independence from God. My stuff. Mine, mine, mine. I'm going to get this. I'm going to be good. I don't need God. I don't need anybody. It's like the guy buying those fields in Isaiah 5, right? I don't need all those people. Whoops, I'm alone, right? And, and he, so it's, you see this underlying independence from God, and you see the ultimate diminishing return. What happened? God said, fool, tonight you will die. Now, if you are one of those folks who's here tonight investigating, you're saying, wait a minute, God killed this guy? Yeah, that's what happened. God said, tonight you'll die. All right, this is your day. All your stuff is, is, is not going to meet your need. All right, that's the ultimate diminishing return in this case. All that stuff went to somebody else. The next layer I want us to look at is the idolatry of self. Okay, that was stuff. Now I got the idolatry of self. Look at Amos chapter 2. All right, for thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Why? Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Okay, they're trampling on the head of the poor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
and they're doing bad stuff with girls. All right. The idolatry of self. In order to get what I want, it was me first. What Amos is writing about here is, is a me first attitude, not God first, no concern for my neighbor. I'm trampling on my neighbor. I'm trampling on poor people. All right? I am, I am trashing anybody that gets between me and my goal in this case, right? All right? Self. It's all about me. And, and it's all about that insatiable pursuit. And when, you, when we fall into that, into that depth of self and that insatiable pursuit, we're just talking about money and possessions tonight. That can fall over into a lot of other areas of life, right? Sexual pursuits, etc. where I'll just torch everybody to get what I want. In this case, we see here, and we've all seen it in the, in the business world, those of us that operate there, savagery can be rewarded in a lot of cases. Savagery, right? The thing is, I have to watch myself often to make sure that that savage doesn't take over, right? It's always, it's always there, ready, crouching, ready to pounce, right? The idolatry of self. I will do whatever I need to do to others to get what I want in this case. Greed expresses itself in the idolatry of self. Next, we'll look in, in greed. So, so what else do we see in the, in the layers of greed? Finally, it's a lack of contentment. It's a lack of trust in God. Okay? We look, at the, we look at this passage, Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What greed says to us when God has promised, I will provide what you need. Not a little bit of what you need. I will provide all that you need. What greed said to us are the same words spoken to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that? Did he really say that he would provide everything you need? Nah, he didn't mean that, right? Can't trust God on that. Will God really provide? Nah, now nah, you, better, you better take things into your own hands here. Will God really punish sin? Okay, think back to the Garden of Eden. Will God really punish sin? Nah, God's too good. God's good. He can do that, right? When we give in to greed, we are not contented, content with what God has provided, and we are not trusting what God has promised in this case. So greed's got layers to it, right? There's, there's no one-size-fits-all appeal of greed. So let's move on and look at the ugly reality of greed. And I thought to myself, you'll never see a coffin in the ground at a women's conference, I'm trusting. So uh, figured you guys could handle a coffin in the ground. The ugly reality of greed and covetousness. I want you to write something down on your, on your uh, discussion notes here. 
with, when you give in to greed, when, let me rephrase that, when we give in to greed, all right, in preparing for this, I've had about a two-month daily self-examination of my heart as it relates to greed, all right, so it's a we. You will steal what belongs to other people. You will steal what belongs to other people. You will also steal what belongs to God. Isaiah chapter 5. God's judgment was brought on them. They were stealing land that belonged to God. God had given it as a gift. All right? When we give in to greed, we will steal what belongs to other people. We will steal what belongs to God. We will harm, you will harm your own family. We saw with the, with the rich fool, you will harm your own soul. And you will harm relationships. Okay? You will steal and you will harm when we give in to greed. 1 Timothy chapter 6. But people who want to get rich, what's the goal? I want to get rich. All right? A lot of young people that I talk with, they're coming out of school, they'll say, hey, can you meet with me and talk about my life? I'm like, okay, I can do that. What do you want to do? I want to be really successful. Okay. I want to be, some of them are just honest. I want to be really rich. I'm like, okay, good. That's great. It's a bad goal. All right? Uh, occasionally, I'll sit down with a young person that says, I want, to be, I want to be godly. I want to live a righteous life, right, according to God. God may, and God will bless that, all right? Maybe with riches, maybe not, okay? But with, but, but, but with his riches. What's the goal here? People who want to get rich keep toppling into temptation and are trapped, all right, this is gentle language, by many stupid and harmful desires. That plunge them into what? Destruction and ruin. This is getting really, really promising here. Not a Joel Osteen sermon. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by what? Craving. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. What do we say? We will steal from others. When our pursuit is to be rich, we will steal from others. 1988. 1988. I worked for a company. I worked for a company that was go, 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 and a lot of people making a lot of money for a young guy, especially a young guy in his 20s. Okay? And the company culture was, we're going to work hard, play hard, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. All right? We make five times more than anybody else in our industry. We are great. Man, you guys are off, blah, 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 blah. Right? Greed, greed, is the whole greed is good thing. And that company got sold, and uh, so I was going to, decided I didn't want to take a package, I was going to do something else. All right? I was hard-charging Want to be rich, just like it says, want to be rich. I'd given notice that I was going to leave. They were not happy about it. 
all right? Uh, they were definitely not happy about it, but I said I was going to leave and go do this other thing that was more entrepreneurial. Just couldn't wait two weeks till I was out the door, and I went and got some people that I was going to do business with in my new venture to sign some papers. Wasn't supposed to go do that. Not supposed to do that. Knew I wasn't supposed to do that. But I knew these guys. It would never come out, right? We just, need to, we just need to get things moving, right? We just need to, it's taking too long. We got to get there, right? There's money to be made. A lot of court costs came out of that for a 20-something-year-old guy. So a lot of that money I had made went for lawyers. Not my favorite group of people based on that experience. I wanted to be rich. I was willing to do what I knew God had said not to do, which was steal from someone and get these papers signed so that I could get rich faster than I was going to do so. All right? People who want to get rich, what do they do? Stupid and harmful things that lead to their destruction. It's a real deal. Luke chapter 16. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We all know these next words. You cannot serve God in money. We cannot serve God in money. How many of us steal from God in pursuit of money? Has anyone here ever stolen from God in pursuit of money? Anyone ever traded worship for work when we were supposed to be worshiping? We know we're supposed to be worshiping. Pretty high up on the list, remembering the Sabbath day, gathering for worship, right? How many times have we traded worship for pursuit of money, right? We literally will steal what belongs to God in pursuit of money. The other thing, though, we saw in terms of what money will, this, this greed will also harm relationships. This, this, you cannot serve God in money. My friend whose name I'm going to change, he wanted to be a player. I'll call him John, okay? John wanted to be a player. John was a bright guy. He had some skills, but, but John wasn't, he just wasn't rain, rainmaker caliber, okay? That's not the skill sets that he had. He had other skills that were very good and useful that would provide a nice income, but they weren't the kinds of skill sets that are going to get rich. He wanted to be rich, all right? Wanted to be a player. John got all of his securities licenses so he could sell stocks and bonds and 401ks and all those things that, that those guys do. Wanted to be a player. Worked at a couple of firms, brokerage firms, didn't work out so well. Now he's at a bank and he's, you know, they're feeding him customers. He was very close to a lady that worked at the bank. She loved John. She put her accounts with John. What did John do? 
He was churning accounts. Churning accounts. What that means? He was trading those accounts all the time. What happens when you trade those accounts all the time? You get commissions, right? John burnt one of the closest relationships with someone who loved and trusted him for the pursuit of money. Knowing every transaction that he was sinning against God, he was hating God and he was hating the person, a person who loved him. All right? That person's retirement wasn't as good because of what, because of what John did. What can happen with greed? Ananias and Sapphira in Scripture sold a field, early church. People are selling possessions, bringing them to, to the apostles' feet, giving them, taking care of each other. The church is growing, needs resources. People are doing this of their own volition. Nobody's making them do it. It's out of the graciousness of their heart. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property and Ananias collaborated with Sapphira, right? His wife said, hey, we're going to bring it. We're going to keep a little bit for ourselves. Were they under a commandment to give everything? Nope. Nope. But they wanted to big time it and create the illusion they had given everything. They were going to hold stuff back. And, and Peter knew what they were doing. And, and he said, hey, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? When we are acting out of greed, we think God is blind at that moment. Oh, God can't see me doing this. Okay? I, am, I have a force shield over my head. God cannot see this, right? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? He not only lied to the Holy Spirit, he lied to Peter and the apostles and other people in the church. He lied to a lot of people. Peter made it real. You're lying to God, right? When you treat your neighbors like that, when you do this in a way... You're stealing. He stole glory from God. And in the process, he harmed himself. He died. He harmed his wife. He harmed his family. His family was hurt by his pursuit, greedy pursuit of gain. In this case, the pursuit, in this case, the gain that he really wanted was he wanted the attention, the glory of, oh, being a great guy, generous guy, while really keeping the money for himself, okay? He stole from God. Finally, in this, in this uh, look at the, at the consequences, look at Ephesians chapter 5, and you see harm to our soul, okay? You see here covetousness again? What's it linked to? Sexual immorality. Like Tim Keller said, Everybody who is having sex with their neighbor's wife knows that they are committing adultery. We don't always recognize when we're being greedy, right? Sexual immorality and all iniquity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Okay, keep going. He who is covetous, that is an idolater, what's the, what's the consequence? You have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. No inheritance. I would like an inheritance. We're going to talk about inheritance as we close, right? I have no inheritance. God is saying to them, if your heart is set on greed, then your heart is not set on me. 
Okay? Now, there certainly is repentance and, and reconciliation with God along that, but, but that's what he's saying. So, finally, if we think about these, these, uh, these consequences, okay, of, of, of greed and covetousness, if I said to you all, hey, I've got, a, I got, a, I got an investment for you, and it is a guaranteed loser. Don, do you want to be in that one? No, no, probably not. I got a guaranteed loser for you. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes. Whoever loves money will never have enough money. How's that for life of satisfaction, right? Whoever loves money will never have enough money. If the intent of our heart is the money and is the possession, we will never have enough of it. Ever. Okay? Ever. You want a guaranteed losing investment, let the pursuit of money, let the love of money be your goal. Now, love of money, does that always mean gain? No. Some of us in the room are probably greedy in our, in our household budgets with our spouses. Is our spouse fearful of asking for a little money for something? Do we get all bent out of shape every time our spouse wants to spend a dime? All right, now I'm not talking about out of control spending. All right, I'm not talking about getting crazy here, but... But, but we can be greedy in the retention, not just in the gain as well. So as we think about how that love of money shows up. All right, getting us, getting us to the end here. What are the warning signs? What are the warning signs? None of us want any of these bad things to happen. What are the warning signs? I want you to think about your life. What's hard? What's hard right now in your life? in your work life, in your home life, etc. What's hard? Does it involve money? Does it involve pursuit of gain? Right? What's hard? Just think about what's hard in your life. Right? Could be a relationship that's hard. Does that hardness of that relationship have its roots back in greed, for example? All right? Some of us have continuously pursued things that were so high risk that we put our families in a bind a million times, okay? What's hard? Did marriage get hard as a result of that, right? I'm not saying don't take risks, but if we're always trying to knock one over the wall, just that's the whole life, boom, I'm, I'm swinging. This is gonna be the big one, this is gonna be the big one. Here it comes, right? What's hard? What has failed that looked like a sure thing? What's failed that looked like a sure thing? I will tell you, and I've told people that I have had two different business deals in my life that have failed for reasons completely out of my control. I'm convinced on one of them in particular, I am convinced that God just said, nope, because you're going to be a bigger idiot than you already are if this goes through. Because what killed that one came out of Mars, basically. Okay? Just, there wasn't a plan that had that risk on it. And it, like that. What's failed that looked like a sure thing? What do you fight about? 
What do you fight with people about? What do you fight about at church? Judas. Judas. John chapter 12. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Did Judas care about the poor? No, because Judas was stealing out of the purse the whole time he was a disciple. Right? Judas was greedy. Okay? What do we fight about at church? What do we fight about with relation to our giving? Maybe we're just fighting with ourselves about it, too. It may not be with another person. What do we fight about with respect to money in church? What do we fight about in our relationships? How does money factor into that? Are we always fighting about money? Are we fighting about being generous with our money? One spouse wants to be generous, the other one doesn't. What are we fighting about? Okay? What are we fighting about at home, with our budgets? What are we fighting about uh, in our relationships? What relational damage has been done in your life? Think about relational damage that has been done. Does greed have a place in that? Some yes, some no. All right? I've seen a lot of people do a lot of things that were sketchy in pursuit of money, and they've blown up family relationships, friend relationships, etc. What have you done? What have you done that you know was, and or you may be doing it right now, directly contrary to what the Word of God says? in pursuit of money. Warning sign. I am doing something that I know Scripture says not to do in pursuit of money. All right? I'm lying, cheating, stealing, blah, 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 whatever that may be. Being deceptive, being deceitful. What is that? Warning signs. Those are just a few. All right? There's 150 guys in the room. There's probably 150 more warning signs that there could be had. I want you to think, what are the warning signs in my life that I've either run through and suffered the consequences or that I see right now that are right in front of me while I still have a chance to do something about it, right? Warning signs. So this has just been a real uplifting chat so far. Uh, let's see if we can make it a little bit better. In conclusion, let's talk about the restful alternative. What is the alternative to greed and covetousness? There's got to be an alternative, right? We weren't made to live that way. John, John MacArthur says that the antidote for covetousness is contentment. Contentment. I'm content in Christ. I'm content in Christ because I have a relationship with God, and I'm content with what God has said and He will do and has done, and I'm content with what He has promised. I'm content with His order of things. I'm content that he has given me a day to rest and I don't have to steal from him, you know, in that, in that case. I'm content, okay? Covetousness is in opposition to contentment. Look at the next statement. The covetous, greedy person worships who? Himself. I'm worshiping some me. The content person worships God. Do I worship God not just on Sunday? Am I worshiping God seven days a week in all that I do? 
right? Am I content in whether God provides a huge windfall or enough for dinner tonight? All right, am I content? So the antidote for covetousness is contentment. What does this contentment look like for everybody? For everybody. Okay, what does it look like? Okay, the promise again of Matthew 6. God has said your heavenly Father knows what you need, and he knows all of the things that you need. Not some, not he's going to provide some, and you got to go get some, right? He knows them all, and he's going to provide all that you need. All right, not all that you want, all that you need, all that we need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What does contentment look like for everyone? Trusting that God, taking God at his word and trusting he will provide and seeking his kingdom, putting God in his kingdom and righteousness as he has described it, front burner. Not my gain, not my money, not my stuff, not me, but God. For everybody. Rich people, rich folks. Special message. Special message. Some of you are thinking, I am taking this slide off. Others are thinking, don't call on me. Rich folks, there is a great promise here. What does contentment look like? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Here's a big one. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. What's the sure thing? What's the sure bet? God. What's uncertain? Riches. Some of us here have lived through multiple downturns in the market and business cycles, been on the doorstep of being broke or actually been broke and bounced back and done all these different things, right? Money and stuff is uncertain. Very uncertain. All right? One of the habits I need to break is actually looking at my accounts every day. All right? Bing, 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 bing. And I found, after a while, I was like, I've got to stop doing this. It's affecting my attitude, right? Uncertainty. The sure bet. What's the sure bet? God first. That's the sure bet. But look else, rich folks. Here we go. They are to do good, to be rich. How do you, how do you be content if you're rich in this world? To, be, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Rich in good works, generous and ready to share. The opposite of greedy gain is joyous giving, right? Giving, what a great thing. I can be content in giving. Some of us, some of us in the room may have been blessed with an event or two in life where you got a big check. And you thought, wow, man, in all my life, I'm like, oh, boy, if I ever get that, oh, man, what's that going to feel like? You know what it feels like? All right? Because I've, I've, I've had a couple of decent checks. You know what it feels like? That's it. It's a good thing, by the way. All right? Don't, some of you are going, oh, yeah, whatever, grumble, grumble. It's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. It is a great thing. But it is not what you think it's going to be. All right? What is a great thing? What is a great thing is giving 
as God has given us the way, a way to give. Okay? That is a great thing. Get a lot of joy out of that. Contentment. You can't give it away if we're not content that God, that what God in, in taking God at his word. We can't give it away if we're not content because we'll hold on to it. Final note. Final note. We want gain. The opposite, the opposite of greed is contentment. How can I be content? I have an extraordinarily rich inheritance that is guaranteed to me if I'm in Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I'm guaranteed a freakishly large inheritance. Okay? Makes Bill Gates' bank account look like a penny on the street. Right? Like a penny on the street. Romans 8 says that if we are in Christ, the Spirit of God is in us. If we are sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ, that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ of God's kingdom. What an amazing thing to be an heir of all of that. If we're in Christ, we already have this inheritance. It is guaranteed, it is certain, it is our possession. It is our possession. We can look forward to it. We can live expectantly that this, that this big payday is coming. All right? If we're not in Christ, we can ask God to give us a heart to follow Christ, to have the Spirit of God live in us, and to have that inheritance as well. Our wealth is not in our possessions, not in our greedy gain. Right? It is, it is our, our guaranteed inheritance in Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have, uh, that you have given us your word. Uh, there are hours and hours and hours of other verses of scripture I could read uh, that are related to this topic. You wrote a lot about it because our hearts go there. We go to greedy gain. We go to hoarding and holding on and being tight-fisted. Yet, God, just you've given us the ultimate example in Christ of, of our, our joy is in giving away. Our joy is in giving of our possessions. Our joy is being content in you. Uh, so, God, give us joyful hearts. Give us contented hearts in Jesus Christ. Uh, give us hearts as we go to our table discussions to, uh, to, to really just to, to be open and honest about where greed shows up. And more importantly, why? Why does it show up? God, what is it that we think we're going to get from stuff that you have not already given us? So God, open our hearts to that. In Jesus' name, amen.